0: Hey, everybody, today is a very, very special episode of The Breakdown. And I am so proud and so excited to introduce to you our brand new podcast from the North Star called Sick Empire. It takes place right here in New York with everyday people. It's starring our newest staffer at the North Star, Brandon Janice, who is just phenomenal. The podcast has already cracked the top 100 in uh, the news division on apple podcast and our team has been working so hard on it for months i'm so proud of brandon i'm so proud of our senior producer willis who many of you know is not only the longtime producer of this podcast the breakdown but is my homie my friend since kindergarten and uh it's special let, let me be real with you it's better than the breakdown <laughs> so if you love the breakdown you are really, really going to dig what we've created with Sick Empire. Today, we're going to do something that we've never done before. Right here on The Breakdown, I'm going to play episode one for you. I know you're going to love it, but I just want you to hear it so that you can go to Apple, Spotify, whatever podcast app you use, or go to the Northstar.com, listen to it. Episode two actually just came out today. So after you listen to episode 1 here, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, go to your favorite podcast app, go to the northstar.com and listen to episode 2 of Sick Empire. It's just brilliant. Brandon does an amazing job connecting to everyday people all over New York who are not only impacted by the coronavirus itself, but by the economic and racial disparities all over our city. I want you to hear it. It's getting rave reviews. It has five stars uh, everywhere where you can review it. And uh, it's one of the most special, beautiful, brilliant things we've ever produced. So I'm going to play episode one for you here, starring Brandon Janice, uh, senior produced by Willis and also with support from our podcast director, Lysandra. Go ahead and check it out. Listen, share it and then go listen to episode two wherever you can podcast. Take care.
1: A few nights ago, I ordered takeout for the first time in two months. And the delivery was pretty late, which I understood, especially after having a conversation with a restaurateur friend, who you'll hear from later in the show, who told me that COVID-19 forced him to furlough his entire staff, going from a restaurant serviced by 30 employees to a takeout joint maintained by himself, his business partner, and his mother. So I totally understand. After hearing this, and I get it. Deliveries are late. Deliveries are slow. So maybe an hour and a half into waiting, I get a call from the restaurant that I ordered dinner from, this sushi spot in Harlem. And the person calling wasn't from Postmates or a delivery service like that. It was a worker, maybe even the owner of the restaurant. And he called and said, hey, we're on our way, we'll be there in nine minutes. And the delivery came and we exchanged food and everything was fine. However, I noticed how grateful the person who delivered my food was. was The type of gratitude that honestly, before COVID-19, had been lost. He looked me in the eye and he said, enjoy your food. You know, it was different. It was different. It was personal. And it was genuine. I felt a certain sense of dignity in his work. Like a spirit. He was not giving up. He was being essential. Regardless of the battle at hand, he had work to do. He was very New York, very survival mode. He had that vibe. He had that energy. But there was a softness to him that I have not seen in a long time. And it felt good. And after that exchange, part of me wishes that this stint in unemployment will revitalize that passion and pride and work that breeds happiness. Sick Empire. I'm Brandon Janice, and you're listening to Sick Empire. Sick Empire, episode one, Jobs. I'm Brandon Janice. I'll be your host for the next eight episodes of this podcast, perfectly named Sick Empire. Our series is filled with testimonies from New Yorkers who work on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic and who witnessed the real chaos of living in the epicenter of a global health crisis. Starting off with the stories from two currently employed Trader Joe's crew members named Kay and James. They take me through their old routine of working at Trader Joe's and how before COVID-19, the energy of the store was vibrant and party-like, and how the aisles went from being packed with customers to all of their shoppers standing six feet apart outside of the store in the middle of Union Square. Yeah. I have customers like, oh, thank you guys for
2: staying open. Thank you guys for, like, great energy. In our location, it sure was like, we're, we're such a, <laughs> the employees were so, it like a fun time with us. For hours is always like a party. So we try to remain that energy and still remain trying to keep a smile
1: on our faces. I asked Kay what she would like to happen in terms of compensation.
2: For me it would be time to um a bonus every every patient. And if we don't want to come into here, we still get, we still if we're scared, we
1: still okay. Kay commutes from Gunhill Road in the Bronx, to Union Square, on 14th Street. And we talked about the opportunity to get low-priced Uber rides from work instead of taking the four to the five to the two every day. So I hope someone at Uber hears this. Like, that would be so fine to just get a ride from here to work. What's so special about Kay is that she's maintained a positive outlook even though her entire world has been turned upside down. And she even takes time to ensure that her customers are well taken care of. I always try
2: to make jokes and always try to like, make even the customers laugh. And even if it's because I know they're probably going through it right now.
1: What one that, so
2: much is happening.
1: Yeah, no. When this is kind of hopefully the chaos when it um ends, do you see a change coming to the way essential workers are treated or do you see things going back to the status quo? People will
2: look down on people who work for ghost at and supermarket. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is just a whatever job. Mm-hmm. And I... Like, just put respect on our title and what we do. Mm. Like, I would love for that. Mm -hmm. But I'm also aware that we're all going to go back to the regular, regular shit. We're going
1: to go back to the same things. And now we're going to hear from James, another crew member at Trader Joe's in Union Square, who was much more vocal than Kay, and who confronted his managers... And the corporate offices when he was told that he could not wear personal protective equipment at work
3: and immediately after I clocked in, I was approached uh, by the captain, and nicely he's just like, you know we're not doing the mask thing we're not we're not really wearing masks we're like discouraging people from wearing them because you know we don 't want to um, you know, create a stressful environment or whatever, and I was just like, are you kidding me right now? It was like, kind of like, we don't want to scare the customers. You could only imagine what was going through my head. I'm like, scare the customers. It's going to make them feel safer that we're wearing masks. We're around their food, and not for nothing, but this is in la-la land. We're still in New York City. Just because you walk into Trader Joe's doesn't mean that there's no virus around. But I didn't want to argue with them, so I took it off, and I went throughout the day without the mask, and then literally either that night or the next night, I can't remember, the first person at our store got sick with COVID-19. And we had been hearing about, like, Other stores in the region, you know, in Soho or in Chelsea, that had closed down to completely sterilize the store because someone at their store got sick. So when the first person at our store got sick, right after, you know, the day that I, you know, was like, I need to wear a mask and they told me not to, I was like, well, here you go.
1: I asked James to tell me what was the most unbelievable experience he's had at the supermarket during COVID-19. Here's what he had to say.
3: The company was not offering paid leave to 65 and older people unless they weren't offering paid leave to anybody, unless you had COVID-related symptoms, which to me, if you're 65 and older, they need to send your ass home and they need to pay you. Like, that's just the right thing to do.
1: But that's not it. James tells me the story of how he and his co-workers started to demand hazard pay from the company.
2: We need to get hazard
3: pay. We need to get, you know, we need to be paid at least double for putting ourselves in such a hazardous situation. And some responses I got from some managers, which honestly, to me, the fact that they're managers means nothing. They're just regular people just like us. So, you know... I've heard from some managers saying, oh, well, you guys, we're lucky that we are even working right now because some people don't even have jobs. And I said, are you out of your mind? People aren't working right now because it's hazardous, because it's dangerous. They're not working because it's not safe. So we're not lucky. You know, It, it just it is what it is. We're essential, you know, for people can't just sit at home and order food off the Amazon all day. You know, some people can't afford to do that. Some people don't have the means to do that. A lot of people. Okay, not some, a lot of people.
1: James told me that there was a petition on Twitter asking for signatures from Trader Joe's employees so that they could get hazard pay. But turns out the letter was actually looking for signatures to help crew members form a union. And the corporate offices took action immediately to stop any whispers of unionization.
3: So I get this letter in the mail, and the letter basically was saying, we're hearing this talk about the, you know, people wanting to unionize, and, um, you know... We we did boost the minimum wage all across the board throughout all Trader Joe's across the country to seventeen fifty and they did give us a two dollar bonus on top of the seventeen fifty, which they are not calling hazard pay, but I think that is their replacement for the hazard pay.
1: However, James says that Trader Joe's in Union Square pre COVID nineteen is the best place he has ever worked in his life. And he's always felt happy to work there in the party-like atmosphere in the middle of New York City.
3: Once we close, you know, the, the store music goes off. And, you know, people put on their playlist and we're up in there twerking and working and, you know, having fun. And, you know, it's just, it's all about, like, let's do this with a smile on our face.
1: It was nice to hear James talk about how he still feels respected at Trader Joe's even though he had to fight to get hazard pay, and even though he had to fight to be able to wear his personal protective equipment, in the end, he still won, and it's still an enjoyable place for him to work. So now we're going to hear from someone who has a completely opposite story. We'll hear from Chris Smalls. He was a former manager at Amazon, and he made national news when he was fired from the Amazon warehouse on Staten Island after letting members of his staff know that someone who had been in the building had fallen ill and had indeed tested positive for COVID-19.
4: Late February, beginning of March, that's when I was, uh, I had my antennas up because I was on high alert about the whole uh, COVID-19. I I was coming home every day just sort of glued to the news because I was just worried because I know what type of operations uh, you do. And, um, you know, that's basically when I started to raise concerns to uh, the higher-ups. I went to my local HR, and I told them, like, hey, I think that we should quarantine uh, for two weeks, you know, trying to be proactive instead of reactive, um, because um, we did have some managers that went to Seattle for training from JFK in Staten Island, and they came back to the building. And um, one of them, I recall, uh, she left early because she wasn't feeling well. And um, that was a mental note for me. And then from that day forward, I started seeing a domino effect between my employees and colleagues, uh, people falling ill with different symptoms, you know, vomiting, uh, fatigue, busyness. Um, they couldn't finish their 10-hour shift, you know. So things like that were, were happening around me every day. And um, it was very scary at the beginning. It was a uh, scary situation.
1: I asked Chris what Amazon's management response was.
4: From that time, the first time I went around, it was just nonchalant because we didn't have any confirmed cases at the time. So um, they were basically saying, you know, business as usual, we're following the CDC guidelines. There's no need to panic. Um, You know, we're taking every precaution, safety measure that we could possibly take at the time. But I say, you know, the thing's not working. I'm in the trenches with these people. I'm seeing it hand-in-hand hand with going on, and I'm telling them, like, there's something wrong here. Um, but they were still very nonchalant nice about it. Um, so that forced me to take further action. Um, I started taking days off of work to protect myself from uh, contracting anything. And then um, while I was doing that, I was still fighting for everybody else in the building. Um, I put together numerous emails, sent them out to the CDC, sent them to the health department, sent them to the government, the state department, uh, you name it, I did it. Um, called the local police department. You know, I did everything in my power to try to close the building down and save those people um, because I knew that management wasn't going to do it.
1: Next, Chris describes the situation in more color. After taking several days off to protect himself, he said he went back to work and his co-worker looked very, very ill. And come to find out, she had also tested positive for COVID-19.
4: My colleague, she looked very sick. Her eyes were bloodshot red. She was fatigued. She told me she went for testing the day before. And um, we all know you don't even get to test unless you are showing severe symptoms. So I'm like, hey, you need to go home. What are you doing here? Um, and, you know, this is my friend. So she, you know, she definitely did go home. And it was like 9 o'clock in the morning. She went home because she told me she tested positive, and she looks sick. So two hours later, um, we had a small management meeting, which we have every day, around 11 o'clock. And that's when we learned about somebody tested positive that, were in the, that was in the building on March 11th. Now, this is not even my colleague. We're talking about somebody else now. Um, confirmed, and I'm expecting them to close down the building because I don't know if you heard about the New York building. Um, somebody tested positive, they closed down the building, they sent everybody home with pay, they sanitized the building, everybody came back to work the next day. I was expecting the same thing from Staten Island, um, but that's sadly, I was sadly mistaken, that's not what happened. Um, pretty much with business as usual, uh, don't tell the employees, you don't want to cause a panic. Um, we're going to the individuals on that side of the building, which didn't make any sense to me. So March 24th was really be my last day working for Amazon. Uh, I walked out the building that day at 12 o'clock, not to return as a supervisor. Um, Every day that week, up until the day they quarantined me on March 28th, I came in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, off the clock. I sat in the break room from 7 a.m. to about 4 in the afternoon, almost 8 hours a day. I sat there, and I told all the employees I could the truth. That management wasn't telling them. I told them that you've been exposed to somebody who tested positive. Because my um, colleague, she tested me, she texted me saying that she tested positive uh, the next day. So, you know, I felt like I had to take further action to continue doing what I'm doing uh, with telling the truth, with being transparent with the employees. They have the right to know.
1: I asked Chris if he had heard of anyone else in the warehouse who had also tested positive for COVID-19. And this is what he said.
4: Uh, Absolutely. Yes.
1: Wow.
4: I heard... um, you know, up until this present day, there's, a, there's at least 50 cases in that building. And it's sad because the building's still open. Um, more people contracted the virus. Um, it's, it's sad what's going on in there because uh, they know they're putting their lives at risk by even going to work, and they continue to do it. And um, more people have definitely gotten sick and contracted the virus. And, um, you know, God forbid, all I can do is pray for them at this point. You know, I understand people need their jobs. They need their money. Um, you know, but I tried everything in my power to get the building closed down because I wanted to avoid um, what we just heard about, you know, two days ago, three days ago, um, somebody passing away that works for the company. So, um, this is gonna happen if we don't shut these type of buildings down because the type of operations we do require people to be around each other. You can't really practice uh, social distancing when you when you need to interact in operations and do to get your job done. And these type of facilities it's a breeding ground because everybody's on top of each other, you know, you got the, the cafeteria, you know, you got to share microwaves. They're not cleaning those microwaves that every use. You got to, you know, in and out of bathrooms, in and out of doors, entrances to the door to the building. So these are things that um, you, you can't avoid. They're unavoidable and, uh, you know, that's where people fail to realize you got 5,000 employees from all over New York, five boroughs, go into this one building, um, and New Jersey as well. Just do the math on that. Just drive it spreads to two and a half people. Uh, it's an epic center right there, you know?
1: So, after talking to three employees, I wanted to speak to a business owner in New York City. So I called my friend, Aaron Beaner, who is part owner of Season Vegan the only full-service restaurant in Harlem that serves plant-based food. And Aaron and I always have very long conversations about being Black in America, reparations, and how important it is for people to start their own businesses. And However, what's most interesting about Aaron's experience as a small business owner during COVID-19 is his interactions with the NYPD. If
5: you don't move your car in a minute... There is nowhere room. to put it. You could do whatever you want, sir. What do you, I'm asking you, and you can't give me a home. legitimate answer because you know that people are at home right now. Nobody is moving right. their right. car. It's not my responsibility to find car. you a legal parking spot. It's my responsibility I'm asking to make sure you... That you do what do, do you expect me to do, given this situation... Given this situation, there are what parking spots that open up do you expect me to do? There are parking spots that open up on the street. You say you're a delivery guy that means you go and deliveries. you pick up the, pick up the thing, I'm the right? owner, first of all. Getting... And so I'm doing a lot of things. We're washing dishes. We're taking orders. I'm doing a bunch of things. We've been here literally working seven days a week for the quarantine. I'm here taking deliveries personally, well, myself. i listen to what I'm telling you. Everybody else is told not to come to work. Everybody, Everybody else, else like who? I'm told to stay home. See, we're here because we were asked to be here by the government, because we were told that we are essential, because we are feeding people. We were told that we are not allowed to let people sit down. We were told that we have to do delivery and takeout. So that's what we're doing, delivery and takeout. But everybody else is at home, so they're not moving their cars. That is what the logic is. You're saying that you cannot not take action? That's not true. You can not take action. You are a free person in this country. You can decide what you do. You have decided that you want to give us more ticket while the entire country is shut down. That was your choice. Don't try to put this on something else that you have to do your duty. I asked you to move, you tickets. didn't move. The disrespect level is up here when I asked you to do this, something The disrespect level is, the is The disrespect level is through the roof that because is. you guys are You're looking at me. Here. You know that we're essential. We actually are providing a service to people. We've been here seven days a week. You that guys are exactly, absolutely yeah. harassing us Thank because you. we're trying to provide food to our city yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. And the only thing you can find to do with your time is to give us a ticket and you want to say we're disrespecting you? Are you kidding me? You can't be serious. We're literally paying you, and you're harassing us, and we're trying to provide food to the city. Like, you guys, guys, this is why the city doesn't respect you, because you want to take it out on people that aren't doing anything but trying to actually help. You guys aren't helping anything. You're not keeping people socially distant. You're not sweeping the ground. You're not doing anything. You're sitting in your cars, and you're bothering people. People like us who are working super hard every day. And the irony is so funny that you guys wouldn't, neither one of you guys would even be stepping foot in this neighborhood if you didn't have a bunch of weapons and a license to kill. We know who you are, you're a fraud, you're a fraud. You're not a hero, you're fake and you're soft. You wouldn't even be in this neighborhood. We know who you are, we see you, you're a fraud. Fake ass heroes. Courtesy, professionalism, respect, it's all lies. You're a waste of money, you're a waste of time. And the city's going to reconcile with you. The citizens are going to reconcile you.
1: And I spoke to Aaron just a few minutes ago, and he tells me that, unfortunately, the harassment is still going on, and the plot has thickened. If you want to continue to follow Aaron's interaction with the NYPD and see how you can support Season Vegan, Please visit their Instagram page. Now, I'll be right back after a quick word from my friends at the North Star.
6: My name is Amel, and I'm the North Star's operations assistant, as well as the fulfillment and customer service coordinator. The North Star receives hundreds of emails a day, whether it be story pitches, checking the status of a membership, updating account information, the list goes on. My job is to respond to each message sent by one of our members and cater to their needs based on the request. I also have the honor of curating monthly boxes for our premium members who contribute $250 and above each month. Since next month is Mental Health Awareness Month, the North Star is sending out an exclusive box with items handpicked from small businesses of color centered around mental wellness. Be it that the global pandemic has affected all of us, we want to make sure that our members receive items that may be used as sources of support and relaxation. I want to give a shout out to each and every one of our members that are continuing to support us through these unprecedented times. Whether it be updating billing information or deciding to rejoin us, your contributions make a huge difference. We are still standing because you believe in us and what we do. If you're listening and wish to become a member, please go to thenorthstarcom forward slash join dash now forward slash and select a membership tier that works best for you. We offer basic memberships that give you access to our site, but if you wish to contribute more, you'll receive goodies such as a hoodie, t-shirt, or a monthly box curated by yours truly.
1: To close the show, we're going to hear a conversation I had with Mondaire Jones, the first openly gay Black man running as a Democratic candidate to represent New York's 17th Congressional District. I called Mondaire to get a perspective on jobs from a public servant's point of view. I wanted to talk to someone who was up next to lead our government during this crucial time. Someone who could step up for the country's most vulnerable citizens, not out of pity, but out of genuine understanding.
7: You know, I grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps, raised by a young single mom who worked multiple jobs just to be able to provide for our family. So uh, when I have conversations with people about a $15 minimum wage being necessary at the federal level or universal child care being necessary, uh, that is rooted in my own experiences. I have long felt that uh, we need more working class champions in the halls of power.
1: Mondaire is only 32 years old, and already he has completed incredible work. He's worked in the Obama administration at the Department of Justice. And after graduating from Harvard Law, he spent time doing pro bono work, investigating claims of employment discrimination. We talked about what types of employment discrimination he sees going on now in New York during the coronavirus pandemic. What kind of like employment discrimination, I guess, now do you see? A lot of people are out of work, period. That's that. However, like, there is something there to me that I feel like you can really speak to what I'm talking about employment discrimination during COVID-19 and how it's not an unemployment (laughs) discrimination, it's the fact that the people that are employed um, kind of all look the same and they all come from a similar background. We
7: are facing a different kind of employment discrimination today uh, in in, in that uh, disproportionately so many people who are still having to go into work, despite in many instances being symptomatic uh, you know, are, are, are people who are black and Hispanic because uh, we live in a society where we have not required employers to provide paid sick leave uh, is is now exacerbating a public health crisis. Uh, and the fact that so many of, of these people, you know, disproportionately are black and Hispanic, uh, I don't think is a coincidence. Uh, and certainly the legacy of discrimination against black and brown people in this country is such that uh we are more vulnerable if we are uh, black or brown in this country uh, and are employed at jobs that uh, are more precarious, you know, in places where you can be replaced by someone who similarly is gonna make a relatively low wage uh, and without the protections that come, for example, with um, union membership. Uh, and, And so it is another form of discrimination.
1: Does universal basic income mean there is no dignity in work anymore?
7: You know, I, I, I actually am not a, a huge fan of universal basic income. I think that we need to make sure that we have structures in place so that people can have employment in our society. Uh, it is not a panacea to give somebody a $1,000 check a month. I appreciate that uh, there's been a lot around that recently in, in the midst of COVID. Um, but in terms of a permanent solution, a lasting solution, I think it has to be the kinds of big structural changes that people like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have been advocating. I think it's structural changes, uh, and not a and not a blank check. I, I think of the fact that thousands of young people in my district are living at home with their parents and grandparents because they can't afford to be out on their own, paying rent or or, or owning a home. And these are these are these are young people who have college degrees, but wages have remained stagnant for decades. In fact, uh, the the um, When you adjust for inflation, the average wage in 1980 is actually lower than it is today. Uh, And so jobs, good jobs, are something that I'm going to be fighting for.
1: I got a push alert on my phone about a month and a half ago, calling for emergency volunteer health care professionals for New York City's overwhelmed hospitals. And one of my first thoughts was, well, Shit. If we hadn't classed out nursing school, if we hadn't classed out medical training, if we hadn't told kids in the South Bronx and kids in Flatbush and kids in the Lower East Side and kids in the projects on Staten Island that they were not good enough to go to college, maybe we'd have an adequate amount of healthcare professionals ready, willing and able to care for our city in the middle of a damn pandemic. And I'm not saying you have to go to college to be the greatest expression of yourself. But what I am saying is that we live in a country where keeping the classes divided has become more important than cultivating a society of well-trained professionals. The wealth gap in this country is embarrassing. The wages that we pay, our now deemed essential workers is shameful. It's time we start our own hospitals. It's time we start our own schools, our own daycares. We need to be our own bosses and do the work that matters. Do the work we are good at. Do the work that makes us happy and keeps us healthy. It's time to stop looking down on the working man too. The working man is not a sucker. It's time to put dignity back into work. Having a sense of pride, knowing that you go to work and create something for your neighbor, something that they need, and you're good at it. Who are we if we don't have any pride in our work? Who are we when our work is stripped from us? In the words of the Notorious B.I.G., shit done changed, and we have a seat at the table now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sick Empire. This podcast is produced and presented by The North Star. The North Star is funded entirely by our members. Every episode of Sick Empire comes out 1 week early to members of The North Star. Next week's episode is all about rent tension, homelessness, and urban development in New York City during this pandemic. It's live now to The North Star members on our website. If you'd like to listen now, you can become a member at thenorthstar.com. That's the North Star. Com. you can also support sick empire by going to apple podcast subscribing to sick empire and leaving us your best review tell us what you love about the podcast on any other podcasting platform please subscribe and follow us all of the music in this podcast is produced by the north stars senior producer willis special thanks also goes to our guests and every staff member at the North Star.